Thank you. Loud and proud. I say I am proud most every Sunday. I am Rod Richards and I am proud and pleased to be minister of this congregation. Not everyone likes that. (laughs) One person said, it's a little much you saying how proud you are every Sunday, isn't it? Isn't there a different word than proud you could use? You sound a little full of yourself. So for a short time, I tried to mix it up. I am grateful to be minister of this congregation. I am happy to serve as minister of this congregation. And then another person expressed concern. Why don't you say you're proud anymore? As if to ask, is it something we've done? (laughs) Now, it's an imperfect phrase, no doubt about it. For one thing, I should remember to say that I serve as your minister. I am not the minister. You have had other ministers, one being our minister emeritus, Tom Norwood. You will have other ministers, and there may come a time when you have more than one professional minister on staff, collaborating with you all in pursuing your mission through the shared ministry of this congregation. I am happy, grateful, pleased, and proud to serve as your minister. And there's the other part. What combinations of words best expresses what I want to say about serving as your minister? Maybe no one was as surprised as me when I first used the word proud in this context. Pride was not something that was easily expressed in my family growing up. Scandinavian, Lutheran, Midwestern roots. In a variation on the old Oli and Lena joke, one could say that Oli was so extremely proud of his son Nils that he almost told him so. (laughs) Beyond the expression of it, pride itself was viewed with great suspicion in my family and among my relatives. Pride goeth before a fall is the well-known phrase adapted from the book of Proverbs in the Jewish scriptures. Another proverb says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. So there you have it. Pride is often paired with words like arrogance, conceit, a haughty spirit, selfish ambition, boasting, vanity, and it is contrasted with humility. Pride over here, humility over here. And for a time, that made sense to me. But I'm no longer sure that it's that simple. As I consider what I am trying to communicate with that phrase, I am proud to serve as your minister. While I am convinced that this captures what I want to communicate, I realize that I could just as easily and maybe accurately say that I am humbled by the opportunity to serve as your minister. I am proud to be given the opportunity to serve as your minister, and I am humbled by the opportunity to serve as your minister. They both seem right. 
How can that be? Am I just kidding myself? I found this week there are a number of blogs and videos online debating the confusion around expressing pride and humility. Just type in pride versus humility on your search engine and you will see. People are fed up with celebrities and public figures saying they are humbled by such and such an award when really they are proud to win it. Humbled, they say, comes about when you lose the game, do not win the award, are not recognized for your accomplishments. Don't try and hide your pride under a bushel of humility, they say. That is just an inverted form of arrogance. In my example, I imagine they would tell me what I really mean to say by I am humbled by the opportunity to serve as your minister is I am honored to be given this opportunity to serve as your minister. And I can accept that. I see the difference and realize that this is a piece of what I wish to communicate. I am honored to be given this opportunity. But I guess I also have a hard time feeling satisfied with the dictionary definition of humble. Having or showing a modest or low estimate of one's importance of low social, administrative, or political rank, as a verb to lower someone in dignity or importance. To lower someone in dignity. That is not my idea of humbling. I think of humbling more as grounding oneself in our inherent interconnectedness and inescapable interdependence. I think of humility as the acknowledgement that whatever one has achieved and whatever award has been given and whatever honor bestowed, that I didn't build this. I didn't get here alone and I won't be able to continue on from here alone. To me, this does not lower someone in dignity. It places that dignity in context. It does not require a low estimate of one's importance, only a realistic one. I am proud to serve as your minister at the same time understanding that it is not about me. You have called me to serve as your minister and walk with you in pursuit of a mission that is humbling in its sweep. To deepen connections by nurturing spiritual growth, practicing justice and inspiring joy. That does not mean to me that the mission lowers any individual's importance, but reminds us that we need each other that no one of us can do this alone, that we must proceed imperfectly balancing our first principle and our seventh principle, affirming and promoting the inherent worth and dignity of every person and the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. All of that said and all of this personal exploration for me led me to understand that though I can now say the words in a particular context, I am proud. They are still bound up with a deep suspicion about what pride really is. Is it arrogance, selfishness, self-importance, and a fear about where it can lead? I can only really accept it when it comes with a healthy dose of humility. 
And this arises from my own personal experience and my cultural identity and the particular perspective that my experience and identity provide me in this culture. What I see and more importantly, what I fail to see. And that relates to what is happening today and the celebration that has been going on here all weekend. Pride in the plaza. LGBTQIA pride. I am an enthusiastic supporter. And to be honest, I recognize that there is still something hiding within me in the dark recesses of my mind, nurtured by my experience and my family, taught to me from an early age in church, encouraged by powerful elements within this culture, which bristles at the display of such pride and ask proud of what? Of who you are? I mean, we're all just people, right? I'm okay. You're okay. Isn't that enough? And that's what I mean about coming from my own particular personal and cultural identity within this culture with all of its limitations. Taking my own felt and legitimate need for humility and projecting that outward as if it were a universal need and applied to all individuals no matter what their context or personal or cultural identity or position within this particular society. It is refusing to recognize differences and living in the illusion that we are all starting from the same place. Hannah Gadsby, who Kate read from earlier, explains in another part of that performance why she may need to give up her comedy career. She says, I built a career out of self-deprecating humor. That's what I built my career on. And I don't want to do that anymore. Because do you understand? Do you understand what self-deprecation means when it comes from somebody who already exists in the margins? It's not humility. It's humiliation. I put myself down in order to speak, in order to seek permission to speak, and I simply will not do that anymore, not to myself or anybody who identifies with me. And if that means that my comedy career is over, then so be it. This struck me because I am a fan of using self-deprecating humor, and she made it so clear how that functions differently for different people. How coming from a place of privilege, it can provide a way to connect. And how coming from a marginalized identity, it can be seen as the price one pays to even participate. How it can be expected of those who come from the margins. And how when it is expected, it is no longer an expression of humility, but of humiliation. Yes, you can have a place on the stage, but only if certain criteria are met, as long as you play by our dominant culture, gender, normal, straight, white, male rules, and be appropriately grateful for the opportunity. 
Brittany Packnett also talked about the dominant cultural expectations coming from our own Unitarian Universalist community for people on the margins in her Ware lecture at this year's General Assembly just a few weeks ago. She said, if you think about it and admit it to yourself, you came here with a spirit of expectancy. You are expecting something to come and you have expectations about exactly what that thing will be. You have high expectations and perhaps a set archetype for how lectures on auspicious occasions like this one are supposed to go. And I planned to try to meet every one of the expectations I assumed you have of me, she said. I planned to immerse myself in canonical research and revolutionary teaching to study and show myself approved. I had a plan to come here and meet your spirit of expectancy with a pointed and prepared brilliance that would take months to get just right. That is, after all, the temptation when black minds are invited to historically and predominantly white spaces. No matter how fortified we are in our heritage and how determined we are to live authentically, there is always somewhere some voice telling you to contort yourself to meet the expectations of other people. That there is some great proof you alone must provide in a single moment to show that the entire race is justified. That voice tells you there is some profound burden that you carry for women, for people of color, for women of color, for anybody marginalized anywhere to prove our worth in the presence of the privileged. And even as I have intentionally quieted that voice in my life through prayer and practice, through therapy and struggle, still it was there telling me that your expectations were more important than my own. That your expectations are more important than my communities. That your expectations are more important than my creators. <coughs> Needless to say, she was heedless of those expectations as she continued. And I share extended passages from these two voices precisely because they are not my own. I cannot presume to speak for them and I cannot presume to understand them unless I really listen. To understand how pride takes shape for them rather than through the prism of my own limited understanding. Unless I, in the words of Kendrick Lamar, sit down and be humble. I cannot discover our common humanity unless and until I begin to understand our differences. This is what makes it, well, it would be comical if the results were not so tragic. When my straight, white, cisgendered male brothers who hold various positions of power appear on cable TV news programs bemoaning the rise of identity politics, people coming together around shared religious, racial, cultural, and other identities to end discrimination, resist oppression, and demand rights. All of these groups crying out for special treatment. Aren't we all Americans, they cry out. What about the good of the whole? <laughs> Let's be clear, we have always had identity politics, it's just that only one identity ever really mattered. 
It's just that one identity trumped all the others. And yes, I use that verb on purpose. It's just that only one identity mattered, and that made things, oh, so much simpler, so much smoother. That, I fear, is what all too many people mean by making America great again. And all I can say in complete insincerity is good luck with that. Thankfully, there's no turning back because now a diversity of identities are rising up to claim power. Not only to claim power within the current system, but to change the system. Empowered by a deep pride in their own heritage and history, by a deep pride in who they are and the struggles they have endured, a deep pride in the vision that has carried them this far and will carry them into what will be. So, yes, that's right. Some of us need to sit down and be humble. And others need to rise up and be proud. And all of us can celebrate in the struggle for a truly inclusive society. So may it be. Please rise in.